Navigating Change, the podcast from Teibel Inc. I'm Pete Wright. I am here in the Ikubo Cheers Lounge with Howard Teibel once again. Uh, this is unbelievable. And we've got the four regional presidents in a Sierra Nevada. And a C- and Sierra Nevada. Congratulations. Cheers to you, sir. Uh, I, I'd like to start with a question. What's I have the a question? question. Well, I, first of all, we should introduce our esteemed guests. Would you like to do that? No, I'd like you to do that. I would do that. Well, the, first we have Harold Hewitt. You are with uh, uh, Wakubo, the Western Association, yes? Excellent. Welcome. Thank you for joining us, Harold. Uh, we have Kathy Qualls. Uh, and uh, Kathy, you are from Kakubo, yes? Kakubo. Thank you for joining us. Now, we have Mary Lou Merck. Thank you for joining us, Mary Lou. And we have Mike Gower, our esteemed uh, uh, beneficiary here today. President, Benefic- or, uh, beneficiary? Uh, beneficiary <laughs> to the Ikubo board. Uh, Mike, uh, my question for you is about the Ikubo meeting uh, uh, where we are. Now, at, at I believe it was Sakubo. I have a picture of Howard with an armadillo. Howard was with an armadillo in his hands, and they did some sort of crazy armadillo race. My question for you is, where is the equivalent of the armadillo here in Florida? I expected gators or go-fast boats to Havana. Well, it's just because you came in late. (laughs) Okay, because at Margaritaville last night, there were the crab races. That's right. I forgot about the crab races. So, you know, uh, what, what's next in uh, in Tucson? How Avelina? Avelina races. races. Well, we you know we thought we would take uh, take an opportunity since we have all of you together to have a conversation about the challenges and and uh, that you are facing in your regions and how you are working to overcome them uh, through uh, continued development and uh, and attention and uh, I think Howard you had some ideas about kicking it off. Uh, well, in an earlier conversation. We were talking about what's happening in the Northeast. And when we, top of mind for you, you had mentioned population. Say a few more words about that. Right. So, you know, they're, they're, if you look at every state in the Northeast or in the Cuba region, until you get to New Jersey, every one of them is just dropping high school populations. And as far as the eye can see. And, and that is clearly starting to stress our, especially our smaller colleges, private colleges in, uh, you know, New York, in Pennsylvania, in Massachusetts. And the, and this is, uh, you know, contributing to some real risk for some of these institutions. You know, whether it's community colleges or... That's right. So what about the other regions? Are you finding an uptick in some of your regions in terms of people migrating there? Or are you also seeing declines because of the high school graduation? We're seeing uh, in the Midwest a little bit of a decline, but I don't think near as much as, as the Northeast. No. We think they're all moving to the South. Is that true? Well, the population is changing, so we're having a lot of Hispanic-speaking um, population now, so we need to figure out how to serve that community. And how to how to uh, how to support that community? Yeah. yeah. And in the West, it's the same. We're having the same exact experiences in the South. The proportion of students who are first generation is growing, so the overall population is level. But we're having to struggle with um, how to be better at access and completion and 
the financial issues that come with supporting folks who are not fully prepared in the way that perhaps more traditional college-bound kids have been. When you when you think about uh, these issues, which are you know as much broader cultural or societal issues that you're dealing with, um, how do you find your roles as CBO are affected? Uh, you know, and your responsibilities, what you're called on to do for your for your associated uh, constituent audiences. One of, one of the things that uh, happens is it causes you to rethink your workforce. And so what kind of workforce do you need in place to address these special needs? And so, and it's more expensive because you need new programs to deal with changing conditions. The other problem we all face and share is the decline of government funding across the board. Federal funding, state funding, uh, state funding issues in California are particularly acute as it respects. I mean, precisely at the time when we need to gear up to accept more students and provide new programs to be able to help them succeed, state funding is, is, you know, at best frozen. So it's very challenging. And that's quite true. When you're, as Harold said, you know, in, the, in New Jersey, for instance, the, you know, the growth that we see is going to be in the first generation students. And, and those are, are very challenged financially, socially, uh, their preparedness and so on. So we have to do much more to be able to bring them in. Now the diversity that comes from this population is fantastic for you know, our campuses, but the support, uh, it, you know, the support from the state is just not, not there. And it also affects our pricing. So our discount rates seem to be growing. And I think that's a direct result of the first-generation students that we're now serving. The other thing that happens is you begin to look at secondary markets. So what programs do you need to attract the non-traditional students and people who want to come back for retraining and retooling? And so that also leads you into the distance market and how you'll capture some of those people. I'm very interested to hear what you what you are doing. Is that something all of you have, uh, are, are taking on? How what, what has been the impact so far in your regions of, of some of these alternative, uh, you know, programmatic models that you're rolling out to, to test some of these things? So one thing we're doing at uh, my, my institution is we've created a new independent university that is low-cost point, blended or completely online and that uh, university was just approved uh, to begin offering competency-based education as a low-cost alternative to success. Uh, these things are untested as of yet CBE has only been around a short while but competency-based education is one possible avenue for success at a very low cost point which is something that we're all struggling to achieve. In our traditional university we are um, maintain a very low rate of increase in tuition. Effectively, when you, when you um, take into account inflation, we're holding it almost level, and we're increasing our discount rate intentionally in order to reduce student loan burden, all of which is more or less what chief business officers are primarily responsible to help the organization to strategize to do. The other strategy that we've adopted at my institution is to look at foreign markets. We've created a um, partnership with several Chinese institutions. The most uh, significant one is in Chongqing, and it's a joint engineering degree where the students will be in China for four years, come to the States for the last fifth, fifth year, and have a dual degree, one from the Chinese institution and one from the U.S. institution. And then the other remarkable thing is it's the first ever co-op program in China. 
And so that's been kind of exciting as a different strategy. That is exciting, and it brings in some ways a level of optimism about this. But I'm curious about something else, more in your roles as presidents of the association. You know, when I think about you having to demonstrate leadership here, how has taking on being leaders in your regions affected or contributed to your leadership style at schools? Because I can imagine it's had a, a very positive impact or it's a, and growing pains. It, it, for me, it's been a very positive impact, absolutely positively. What, what uh, involvement in the organization allows you to do is take on different roles that you wouldn't otherwise be able to take on in your day job. And so it provides a variety of learning opportunities you wouldn't otherwise have. It's like you can't pay for this training. You cannot pay for this, this training. Position. You cannot. And you get to learn best practices from all over the country. Exactly. That's the best part. Well, That's otherwise, really you're it. living in a very insular space. Yeah, the exposure to just the ideas, the opportunities that you can you can take in is just un, uh, uh, unparalleled, and and also just the you know just the collaboration, uh, the uh, the friendships that develop between us, you know, and and the opportunities that come out of that. I mean, we work in our regions, but we work in, with the national agendas as well together, and and we. You know, we're all we're all pulling in the same direction. You know, we may be in different regions of the country, but we're all, you know, trying to do what Cindy Matson was talking about today. Is you know, how do we contribute to this important thing that that you know is so vital to our society? You know, one of the things we talked about today in my session was about optimism, and you know, I feel like it's really important that we bring that, but I also think it's challenging to be optimistic in the face of difficult conversations. How do you do that in your schools? How do you keep, without sounding like you're, you're in the clouds, but have a level of optimism in the face of having tough conversations? Yeah, well, one thing, you know, we're all fighting the, the sort of perception of higher ed right now is too expensive, right? But one thing that helps all of us is to point to the outcomes that come from our schools and to the, the students who have been so successful, so successful, um, and so that really helps. Yeah, I, I, would, I would concur. I, I think it, um, all of us were drawn into this field because of our passion for higher education. We could be selling toothpaste or something else with our various degrees and probably making a lot more money. At bottom line is we have the opportunity to transform lives, and the people that we work with on a daily basis are very creative, are, are totally in and around that that set of issues. So the challenges are quite significant, but the quality of the people that we work with on a daily basis, shared passion for the mission, and the, and the bottom line is getting students to complete and be successful in their lives, nothing is more rewarding than that. That's, that's driving optimism, Howard, I think. Yeah. The, the other thing um, that I personally experienced is that there really is an unending supply of optimism on every single campus, and it's called the student. And if you just go out and spend time with those students, it's there, it's natural, and you can draw from them. I'm so glad you said that. I mean, that really is, it, it's something we, I, as, as a faculty member, I often wonder, you know, what is, is there a, a real connection between the administration 
by way of the chief business officer and the student body, a critically important constituent audience in what we do. Uh, and so it just it means a great deal to hear you say that, Mike. Oh, my goodness, yes. I mean, uh, there's nothing like the energy that you get from you know, walking down the quad in the, at the beginning of a, an academic year or at the end when you see it finishing. I mean, you, you, you just appreciate the potential that's there and you just appreciate, you know, how much has gone into the lives of these, these students who are coming out. And, you know, there's so many other parts of the university that also have that same kind of energy. You know, you go to the research labs who are doing these amazing things, you know, in my place, we've got, you know, healthcare clinics and such where, you know, they're, they're curing cancer. They're dealing with people's lives. You know, this, there has to be a lot of optimism because, you know, the, the, the energy, well, Buck Goldstein said it, you know, the, these universities are what are going to deal with the issues that we have, and whether it be the students, whether it be their research, whether it be, you know, taking care of people's uh, health. You know, these things are important, and that's, you know, where I think we all get our passion yeah. from. We do, we do a very simple thing every year, uh, and that's the first week of classes. We require every member of my staff to go out and engage with students. We tell them, go look for freshmen. There's somebody out there that needs help. You'll know who they are because they have maps. And they all come, every single one comes back energized. Every single one. But you have to make the effort to do that. And my guess is it's not that's happening, but it's unique. And that's a leadership skill. Because people will not do this on their own. But if you encourage them, they see something that they're insulated from, unless they live in student affairs or they are touching the student in their daily lives. So doing that more is such a... Because re, that rejuvenates you to why you're there. Um, so if we were to move towards sort of just having each of you think about for a minute, for your region, what's, what is your hope? When you think out this next year, what's something that you hope you see show up or you want to do or an initiative around the work you're doing for your region as presidents? Does anything come to mind? I'd love to get all of your perspectives about something that you have looking, at, looking forward. In the West, my hope is for greater uh, partnerships between public institutions, private institutions, and other kinds of institutions, even for-profit institutions. We each look at the challenges we share with a slightly different point of view. And I've always found whenever I enter in a deep conversation about particular issues with people serving in a different type of institution from my own, you learn. And it's through the synthesis and the creativity where you can find solutions. So collaboration, Howard, I'd like more collaboration in the West. I think we're really focused on this national attention about how expensive co college has become and how it seems to be out of the reach for families, et cetera, et cetera. And no one is speaking up for the colleges to try to show the value that we're still providing. So in the South, we'd like to be at the front of that conversation. That's fantastic. How about you? I, ours is... Uh from a regional perspective, pretty similar to what the West is doing, except instead of the public versus private issue, we know that we have very low participation from community colleges because there's a, a perceived pecking order. The larger the institution, the more important. And, and what we found is that that's just not, that's flat out not true. Uh, and so what we can take from that engagement, we expect to gain as much. Um, as we give. 
So that's our hope. That's great. How about you, Mike? Yeah, I think in the East we we are. I mean, it's 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 all this you know version of the same story. You know, we're trying to uh, equip our members with with ideas and and capabilities to tell the right story, and 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 be strategic and be out there and and get the energy that also drags in. And I say that carefully, drags in the next generation. You know, because uh, we all are in that that age. You know that <laughs> we age? need to re- not. Yeah, that age, not. You know, maybe not everybody, but that age. That 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 we need to be thinking about. You know, the next group, the next in, and and how do we stay not only relevant externally but relative rel- relevant internally. You know, to the uh, the people in our institutions, so that they they see us as a resource. Well, before I turn this back to Pete, what I want to say is, uh, this was your idea, Mike, and I really appreciate. Because I'll tell you something, sitting with the four of you, you can really tell how this experience can rejuvenate you to go back to your campuses and why it's so important to come together like this. So thanks for being willing to put this together and do this navigating change. Well, it's because, you know, we, I have such great colleagues from the other region here and it's just so much fun to be together with them. Well, it is a real treat for us. I know Howard has been a long time partner with uh, Ikubo, but uh, for me, uh, this is my first time. And so I admit, I, I missed the armadillo thing. It's but... about time you got to these. <laughs> it is about time. Uh, so thank you, everybody. Mike Gower, Kathy Qualls, Mary Lou Merkt, and Harold Hewitt, regional uh, presidents of the of the Kubos. It's a delight to have you here. Thank you so much for joining Thank us. Thank you. Uh, on behalf of these fantastic regional uh, chairs and Howard Teibel, I'm Pete Wright. You can find us online at Tybalink.com. Otherwise, join us next week for another episode of Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybalink. Inc.